Radio's Toast. My name is Bill Dykstra. Today is July the 15th, and we are commemorating St. Vladimir, Grand Prince of Kiev, and equal to the Apostles. First off, tonight I'm recording, and it is, it, there's a thunderstorm. It is humid. Uh, like, everything, like, my entire body is a swamp right now. That's too much information for you. But, um, regardless... Uh, there's thunder in the background, there's rain. So that's the lovely part of this whole situation. What isn't lovely is the wet, sticky humidity. But you know what? I'm going to suffer through it because this is for this is for St. Vladimir. And I, I really like St. Vladimir, and I'm excited to talk to you about him today. So without further ado. So I started recording one introduction for this episode. Um, but I thought of a better one afterwards, and this is the better one, because I, this is you'll you'll understand why. Today, today I'm recording. The day is Sunday, and today we went to church to celebrate. You know, tomorrow's feast day um, at the Church of Saint Vladimir outside of our own hometown. It's this beautiful little Carpathian style church. Anyways, it was very small. And before liturgy happened, I was sitting in the pew. Then I went to go get the liturgy books. And I tripped over the pew, and I went like butt over tea kettle, and smacked myself right on the butt, like landed right on my butt. And everyone, because it's a small church, everyone turned around, but not before I had a little expletive come out of me um, (laughs) uh, in pain, you know, and I was was immediately like apologetic and everything, but it was like, I'm just in liturgy and I'm mortified. I am just mortified that me in church not only embarrassed myself by falling over, but then by like swearing <laughs> um, instinctively, instinctually, instinctually, Sarah, instinctually, instinctual, instinctual, instinctually, instinctually, sorry, instinctually, instinctively, instinctively. Anyways, regardless, I was like mortified in church the entire time. And but then it kind of dawned on me that, you know what, St. Vladimir probably thought I needed some humility and therefore gave it to me in honor of his feast day. So before we begin today's episode, I just wanted to share that. And um, if you have a devotion to St. Vladimir, he likely trips you a lot, too. So let's continue. So this is a very important day in the life of Slavic Eastern Catholicism. Before St. Vladimir, there, yes, were Christians in the empire of the Kievian Rus, obviously evidenced in the witness of his mother. However, most credit is afforded to Vladimir for the Christianizing of the land. Today, we're going to guide you through a story on how that takes place. After this episode, there will be plenty more about St. Vladimir to learn, so consider this uh, your intro course. So I'm about to read from the Russian Primary Chronicle. The story of St. Vladimir and the Christianization may have some elements that today we may think to be somewhat blue. You'll understand what that means when the time comes. Anyways, so we'll begin with where we left off with the martyrdom of John and his son from last Friday. From here, Vladimir continues uh, his military campaign and is coming into contact with outside powers and is then able to ask questions from those that he meets. 
Vladimir was visited by Bulgars of Mohammedan faith, who said, Though you are wise and prudent prince, you have no religion. Adopt our faith and revere Muhammad. Vladimir inquired what was the nature of their religion. They replied that they believed in God and that Muhammad instructed them to practice circumcision, to eat no pork, to drink no wine, and after death promised them complete fulfillment of their carnal desires. Muhammad, they asserted, will give each man seventy fair women, and he may choose one fair one, and upon that woman will Muhammad confer the charms of the mull, and she shall be his wife. Muhammad promises that one may then satisfy every desire, but whoever is poor in this world will be no different in the next. They also spoke of other false things, which out of modesty may not be written down. Vladimir listened to them, for he was fond of women and indulgence, regarding which he heard with pleasure. But circumcision and abstinence from pork and wine were disagreeable to him. Drinking, he said, is the joy of all ruses. We cannot exist without that pleasure. Then came the Germans, asserting that they were come as emissaries of the Pope. They added, Thus says the Pope, your country is like our country, but your faith is not like ours. For our faith is the light. We worship God, who made heaven and earth, the stars, the moon, and every creature. Where your God, where your gods are only wood. Vladimir inquired what their teaching was. They replied, fasting according to one's strength, but whatever one eats or drinks is all to the glory of God. As our teacher Paul has said, then Vladimir answered, Depart hence, our fathers accepted no such principle. The Jewish Khazars heard of these missions and came themselves saying, We have learnt that Bulgars and Christians came hither to instruct you in their faith. The Christians believe in him who we crucified, but we believe in the one God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Then Vladimir inquired what their religion was. They replied that its tenets included circumcision, not eating pork or hair, and observing the Sabbath. The prince then asked them where their native land was, and they replied that it was in Jerusalem. When Vladimir inquired where that was, they made answer, God was angry at our forefathers and scattered us among the Gentiles on account of our sins. Our land was then given to the Christians. The prince then demanded, How can you hope to teach others while you yourselves are cast out and scattered abroad by the hand of God? If God loved you and your faith, you would not be thus dispersed in foreign lands. Do you expect us to accept that faith also, that fate also? Then the Greek sent Vladimir a scholar, who spoke thus. We have heard that the Bulgarians came and urged you to adopt their faith, which pollutes heaven and earth. They are accursed above all men, like Sodom and Gomorrah, upon which the Lord let fall burning stones, in which he buried and submerged. The day of destruction likewise awaits these men, on which the Lord will come to judge the earth and to destroy all those who do evil in admonition. For they moisten their excrement, and pour the water into their mouths, and anoint their beards with it, remembering Muhammad. The women also perform the same admonition, and even worse ones. Vladimir, upon hearing these statements, spat upon the earth, saying, This is a vile thing. Then the scholar said, 
We have likewise heard how men came from Rome to convert you to their faith. It differs but little from ours, for they commune with wafers called oplatki, which God did not give them, for he ordained that we should commune with bread. For when he had taken bread, the Lord gave it to us, his disciples, saying, This is my body broken for you. Likewise, he took the cup and said, This is my blood of the New Testament. They did not so act, for they have modified the faith. Then Vladimir remarked that the Jews had come to his presence and had stated that the Germans and the Greeks believed in him who they crucified. To this the scholar replied, Of a truth we believe in him, for some of the prophets foretold that God should be incarnate, and others that he should be crucified and buried, but arise on the third day and ascend into heaven. For the Jews killed the prophets, and still others they persecuted. When their prophecy was fulfilled, our Lord came down to earth, was crucified, arose again, and ascended into heaven. He waited their repentance for forty-six years, but they did not repent, so that the Lord let loose the Romans upon them. Their cities were destroyed, and they were scattered among the Gentiles, under whom they are now in servitude. Vladimir then inquired why God should have descended to earth and should have endured such pain. The scholar then answered and said, If you are desirous of hearing the story, I shall tell you from the beginning why God descended to earth. Vladimir replied, Gladly, I would hear it. Whereupon the scholar thus began his narrative. In the beginning, God created the heaven and earth on the first day. So the scholar took Vladimir all through the voyage of salvation history. He began with the creation of the world, the fall of Adam and Eve, the promise made to Abraham, the establishment of King David, and the prophets that would come after his line. As the Chronicle relates, Then Vladimir said, Wherefore was he born of woman, and crucified on a tree, and baptized with water? The scholar answered, Since the human race first sinned through woman, when the devil misled Adam through the agency of Eve so that he was deprived of paradise, God, for this reason, avenged himself on the devil. Because of the first woman, victory fell to the devil's lot, for it was through woman that Adam fell from paradise. God suffered pain upon the tree in order that the devil might be conquered by the tree, and that the righteous might taste of the tree of life. As to the regeneration of by water, since in the time of Noah, when sin multiplied among men, God brought the flood upon the earth and drowned mankind with its waters. God said, Inasmuch as I destroyed mankind with water because of their sins, I will now wash away their sins, the sins of man, once more through the regeneration by water. For the Jewish people were cleansed by the sea from the evil custom of the Egyptians, since water was in the beginning the primary element. For it is said, the Spirit of God hovered over the face of the waters. Thus men are now baptized with the water of the Spirit. He then began to speak about the result of Jesus having come into the world, how Christ's apostles were given the task of preaching about the life to come in heaven and the day of judgment. As he spoke thus, he exhibited to Vladimir a canvas on which was depicted the judgment day of the Lord and showed him on the right the righteous going to their bliss in paradise and on the left the sinners on their way to torment. Then Vladimir sighed and said, Happy are they upon the right, but woe to those upon the left. The scholar replied, 
If you desire to take your place on the right with the just, then accept baptism. Vladimir took counsel to heart, saying, I shall wait yet a little longer, for he wished to inquire about all the faiths. Vladimir then gave the scholar many gifts and dismissed him with great honor. Vladimir summoned together his boyars and city elders and said to them, Behold, the Bulgars came before me urging to accept their religion. Then came the Germans and praised their own faith, and after them came the Jews. Finally, the Greeks appeared, criticizing all other faiths, but commending their own, and they spoke at length, telling the history of the whole world from its beginning. Their words were artful, and it was wondrous to listen and pleasant to hear them. They preach the existence of another world. Whoever adopts our religion and then dies shall arise and live forever. But whoever embraces other faith shall be consumed with the fire in the next world. What is your opinion on this subject, and what do you answer? The boyars and the elders replied, You know, O prince, that no man condemns his own possessions, but praises them instead. If you desire to make certain, you have servants at your disposal. Send them to inquire about the ritual of each and how he worships God. Their counsel pleased the prince and all the people, so they chose good and wise men to the number of ten and directed them to go first among the Bulgars and inspect their faith. The emissaries went their way, and when they arrived at the destination, they beheld the disgraceful actions of the Bulgars and their worship in the mosque. Then they returned to their country. Vladimir then instructed them to go among the Germans and examine their faith, and finally to the Greeks. Thus they went into Germany, and after viewing the German ceremonial, they proceeded to Sargrad, where they appeared before the emperor. He inquired on what mission they had come, and they reported to him all that 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 had occurred. When the emperor heard these words, he rejoiced and and did them great honor on that very day. On the morrow, the emperor sent message to the patriarch, to inform him that the Rusin delegation had arrived to examine the Greek faith and directed him to prepare the church and the clergy and to array himself in sacerdotal robes so that the Ruses might behold the glory of God of the Greeks. When the patriarch received these commands, he bade the clergy assemble and they performed the customary rites. They burned incense and the choir sang hymns. The emperor accompanied the ruses to the church and placed them in a wide space, calling their attention to the beauty of the edifice, the chanting of the pontifical services, and the ministry of the deacons, while he explained to them the worship of his god. The ruses were astonished, and in their wonder praised the Greek ceremonial. Then the emperors Basil and Constantine invited the envoys to their presence and said, "'Go hence to your native country,' and dismissed them with valuable presence and great honor. Thus they returned to their own country, and the prince called together his boyars and elders. Vladimir then announced the return of the envoy who had been sent out, and suggested that the report be heard. He thus commanded them to speak before his retinue. The envoy reported, When we journeyed among the Bulgars, we beheld how they worship in their temple, called a mosque, while they stand upright, The Bulgars bow, sit down, looks hither and thither, like one possessed, and there is no happiness among them, but instead only sorrow and dreadful stench. 
Their religion is not good. Then we went among the Germans and saw them performing many ceremonies in their temples, but we beheld no glory there. Then we went up to Greece, and the Greeks led us to the edifices where they worshipped their god, and we knew not whether we were in heaven nor on earth. For on earth there is no such splendor or such beauty, and we were at a loss for how to describe it. We only know that God dwells there among men, and their services is fairer than the ceremonies of other nations. For we cannot forget that beauty. Every man, after tasting something sweet, is afterwards unwilling to accept that which is bitter, and therefore we cannot dwell longer here. Then the boyar spoke and said, If the Greek faith were evil, it would not have been adopted by your grandmother Olga, who was wiser than all other men. Vladimir then inquired where they should all accept baptism, and they replied that the decision rested with him. After a year had passed, in 6496, or 988, Vladimir proceeded with an armed force against Curzon, a Greek city, and the people of Curzon barricaded themselves therein. Vladimir halted at the far, farthest side of the city beside the harbor, a bowshot from town, and the inhabitants resisted energetically while Vladimir besieged the town. Eventually, however, they became exhausted, and Vladimir warned them if that they did not surrender, he would remain on the spot for three years. When they failed to heed this threat, Vladimir marshaled his troops and ordered the construction of an earthwork in the direction of the city. While this work was under construction, the inhabitants dug a tunnel under the city wall, stole the heaped-up earth, and carried it on into the city where they piled it up in the center of the town. But the soldiers kept on building, and Vladimir persisted. Then a man of Curzon, an Anastasius by name, shot into the Rus camp an arrow on which he had written, There are springs behind you to the east from which water flows in pipes. Dig down and cut them off. While Vladimir received this information, he raised his eyes to heaven and vowed that if this hope was realized, he would be baptized. He gave orders and straightway to dig down above the pipes, and the waterway was thus cut off. The inhabitants were accordingly overcome by thirst and surrendered. Vladimir and his retinue entered the city, and he sent messengers to the emperors Basil and Constantine, saying, Behold, I have captured your glorious city. I have also heard that you have an unwedded sister. Unless you give her to me, to wife, I shall deal with your own city as I have met with Curzon. When the emperors heard this message, they were troubled and replied, It is not meet for Christians to give in marriage to pagans. If you are baptized, you shall have her to wife, inherit the kingdom of God, and be our companion in the faith. Unless you do so, however, we cannot give you our sister in marriage. When Vladimir learned their response, he directed envoys to the emperors to report to the latter that he was willing to accept baptism, having already given some study to the religion, and that the Greek faith and ritual, as described by the emissaries sent to examine it, had pleased him well. When the emperors heard this report, they rejoiced and persuaded their sister Anna to consent to the match. 
they then requested Vladimir to su submit to baptism before they should send their sister to him. But Vladimir desired that the princess should herself bring priests to baptize him. The emperors complied with his request and sent forth their sister, accompanied by some dignitaries and priests. Anna, however, departed with reluctance. It is as if I were setting out into captivity, she lamented. Better were it for me to die at home. But her brothers protested. Though your agents, through your agency, God turns the land of Rus to repentance, and you will relieve Greece from the danger of grievous war. Do you not see how much harm the Ruses have already brought upon the Greeks? If you do not set out, this may bring us the same misfortunes. It was thus that they overcame her hesitation only with great difficulty. The princess embarked upon a ship, and after tearfully embracing her kinfolk, she set forth across the sea and arrived in Kherson. The natives came forth to greet her and, con and conducted her into the city, where they settled her in the palace. By divine agency, Vladimir was suffering at the moment from a disease of the eyes and could see nothing, being in great distress. The princess declared to him that if he desired to be relieved of his disease, he should be baptized with all speed, otherwise it could not be cured. When Vladimir heard her message, he said, If this proves true, then of a surety is the God of the Christians great, and gave order that he should be baptized. The bishop of Curzon, together with the princess's priest, after announcing the tidings, baptized Vladimir, and as the bishop laid his hand upon him, he straightway received his sight. Upon experiencing this miraculous cure, Vladimir glorified God, saying, I have now perceived the one true God. When his followers beheld this miracle, many of them were also baptized. Vladimir was baptized in the church of St. Basil, which stands at Curzon upon a square in the center of the city, where the Kersonians trade. The palace of Vladimir stands beside the church to this day, and the palace of the princess is behind the altar. After his baptism, Vladimir took the princess in marriage. Those who do not know the truth say he was baptized in Kiev, while others assert this event uh, took place in Vasilev, while others mention other places. After Vladimir was baptized, the priest explained to him the tenets of the Christian faith, urging him to avoid the deceits of heretics. He was then given a complete rundown of the Nicene Creed and of all the councils, what they taught and what they condemned. Upon the prince's return to Kiev, he used his authority to banish the devil from his land. Proceeding what we had just read, the chronicle says... The devil rejoiced thereat, for he did not know that his ruin was approaching. He was so eager to destroy the Christian people, yet he was expelled by the true cross even from these very lands. The accursed one thought to himself, This is my habitation, a land where the apostles have not taught nor the prophets prophesied. Today we would likely see Vladimir's upcoming actions as harsh and uncharitable. However, we would fail to see paganism as it truly was, as Satanism. When the prince arrived at his capital, he directed that the idols should be overthrown, and that some should be cut into pieces and others burned with fire. 
He thus ordered that Perun, which was their god, should be bound to a horse's tail and dragged down Borachev to the stream. He appointed twelve men to beat the idol with sticks, not because he thought the wood was sensitive, but to affront the demon who had deceived man in this guise, that he might receive chastisement at the hands of men. Great art thou, O Lord, and marvelous are thy works. Yesterday he was honored of men, but today held in derision. While the idol was being dragged along the stream to the Niper, the unbelievers wept over it, for they had not yet received holy baptism. After they had thus dragged the idol along, they cast it into the Niper. But Vladimir had given this injunction, If it halts anywhere, then push it out from the bank until it goes down over the falls, then let it loose. He commanded, his command was duly obeyed. When the men let the idol go and passed through the rapids, the wind cast it to the banks, which since that time has been called Perun Sandbank, a name that it bears to this very day. Thereafter, Vladimir sent heralds throughout the whole city to proclaim that if any inhabitants, rich or poor, did not betake himself to the river, he would risk the prince's displeasure. When the people heard these words, they wept for joy and exclaimed in their enthusiasm, If this were not good, the prince and his boyars would not have accepted it. On the morrow, the prince went forth to the Niper with the priests and the princess and those from Curzon, and a countless multitude assembled. They all went into the water, some stood up to their necks, others to their breasts, and the younger near the bank, some of them holding children in their arms, while the adults waited further out. The priests stood and offered prayers. There was joy in heaven and upon the earth to behold so many souls saved. But the devil groaned, lamenting, Woe is me, how am I driven out hence? For I thought to have my dwelling place here, since the apostolic te teachings did not abide in this land, nor did the, this people know God. But I rejoiced in the service they rendered unto me. But now I am vanquished by the ignorant, not by apostles and martyrs, and my reign in these regions is at an end. When the people were baptized, they returned each to his own abode. Vladimir, rejoicing that he and his subjects now knew God himself, looked up to heaven and said, O God, who has created heaven and earth, look down, I beseech thee, on this thy new people, and grant them, O Lord, to know thee as the true God, even as the other Christian nations have known thee. Confirm in them the true and inalterable faith, and aid me, O Lord, against the hostile adversary, so that hoping in thee and in thy might I may overcome his malice. Having spoken thus, he ordained that wooden churches should be built and established where pagan idols had previously stood. He thus founded the church of St. Basil on the hill where the idol of Perun and the other images had been set, and where the prince and the people had offered their sacrifices. He began to found churches and to assign priests throughout the cities, and to invite people to accept baptism in all the cities and the towns. He took the children of the best families and sent them for instruction in book learning. The mothers of these children wept bitterly over them, for they were not yet strong in faith, but mourned as for the dead. When these children were assigned for their study, there 
was filled in the land of Rus the prophecy which says, In those days the deaf shall hear words of scripture, and the voice of the stammerers shall be made plain. For these persons had not ere this land words of scripture, and now they heard them only by the act of God. For his mercy the Lord took pity upon them. Even as the prophet said, I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious. When he saw that people were Christians, he rejoiced in soul and body and celebrated likewise every year, for he loved the words of Scripture. And on one occasion he had read in the Gospels, Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. And further, lay not up for yourselves treasures upon the earth, where moth corrupts and thieves steal, but lay up for yourselves treasure in heaven, where neither moth corrupts nor thieves steal. And David said, Blessed is he that considereth the poor. Vladimir listened also to the words of Solomon. He that giveth unto the poor lendeth unto God. When he heard these words, he invited each beggar and poor man to come to the prince's palace and receive whatever he needed, both food and drink, and marten skins from the treasury. When the thought that the weak and the sick could not easily reach his palace, he arranged that wagons should be brought in, and after having them loaded with bread, meat, fish, various fruits, meads and casks, and kvas, he ordered them driven out through the city. The drivers were under instruction to call out, Where is there a poor man or a beggar who cannot walk? To such they distributed according to their necessities. Moreover, he caused a feast to be prepared each Sunday in his palace for his subjects, and invited the boyars, the count officers, the centurions, the decurions, and the distinguished citizens, either in the presence of the prince or in his absence. There was much meat, beef, and game, and an abundance of victuals. On one occasion, however, after the guests were drunk, they began to grumble against the prince, complaining that they were mistreated uh, because he allowed them to eat with wooden spoons instead of silver ones. When Vladimir heard of this complaint, he ordered that silver spoons should be molded for his retinue to eat with, remarking that with silver and gold he could not secure a retinue, but that with a retinue he was in a position to win these treasures, even as his grandfather and his father had sought riches with their followers." For Vladimir was fond of his followers and consulted them concerning matters of administration, wars, and government. He lived at peace with the neighboring princes Boleslav of Poland, Stephen of Hungary, and Yuldaric of Bohemia, and there was amity and, amity, amity and friendship among them. While Vladimir was thus dwelling in the fear of God, the numbers of the bandits increased in the bishops, calling to his attention the multiplication of robbers, inquired why he did not punish them. The prince answered that he feared the sin entailed. They replied that he was appointed of God for the chastisement of malfaction and for the practice of Mary towards the righteous, so that it was entirely fitting for him to punish a robber accordingly, but only after due process of law. Vladimir accordingly abolished Turigild and set out to punish the brigands. The bishop and the elders then suggested that as wars were frequent, the Urigild might be properly spent for the purchase of arms and horses, to which Vladimir assented. 
Thus Vladimir lived according to the prescriptions of his fathers and his grandfathers. So I'll end there. And I'll end there because I wanted to I want to mention a couple different things. Yeah, I know it was long, but at the beginning we kind of heard some some kind of that, that harsh kind of critical language that we probably wouldn't use today. And I think typically our compulsion would be to edit those things out, but I wanted to I wanted to relay that in its entirety because seldom would we ever try to do that. Uh, I think seldom would we ever try to understand these saint stories as they were first relayed. And I think that it's important for us to do so, and I think it's a mature thing for us to do so, to not kind of edit those things out, but understand them accordingly within the context and time in which they were written. Aside from that, I also want to look at that last part as well. We kind of saw how Vladimir was very warlike, and he was very ferocious, he was very driven. And I think that, like the story with Olga, those great qualities that he had, that he was using to his own end, were then flipped. Olga was, you know, a trickster. She was, she was clever. She was um, someone who could over make any kind of situation to her own advantage. But when she converted, that kind of trickiness was then turned into wisdom, and it was used to sanctify her. And I think the same thing is happening here with uh, with Saint Vladimir, that he was this kind of driven man. He was. He was, um, he was, well, I want to say ferocious. I want to say uh, he was, um, he, he was, a, a, I, I'm going to stop looking for adjectives. Anyways, you know what I'm trying to say. But then those qualities are then flipped. And those qualities are then aimed at virtue. And I think we see that in St. Vladimir. The same way we, we saw it in Constantine. I don't know if you remember back to the episode on Constantine where in the processes of his conversion, he was labeled as being overly compassionate. And therefore, the rule of law was then weakening. We can look back to Eusebius's ecclesial history, or was it the life of Constantine? I think it was the life of Constantine that we were reading that day. And then his, his desire to be compassionate kind of outweighed his desire to be emperor and his desire to be powerful. And I think that in each of us, I'm, I'm going to preach for a second here, I guess. In each of us, we have this thing where we, des- in our hearts, we desire for power over our own hearts in whatever kind of vices we have. And then as we go through the kind of pr- that process of deification, those things are then flipped on their head. And then that weakness then becomes, we need to find the strength in that. And I think that we saw that happen with Vladimir and his desire, his, his, uh, his zeal. To, to see the faith lived out amongst his people. Anyways, I'll stop there. Um, I think that was a really great story. Um, you know, despite its, you know, the things that we would be a little more trepidatious about today. Anyways, I hope today's recording was clear and there wasn't too much traffic, wasn't too much thunder, wasn't too much raining behind us. I'm still a very humid mess. But let's end off today by praying today's tropar. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. O glorious ruler Vladimir, seated on the high throne of the mother of cities, the God protected Kiev, like a merchant seeking a precious pearl, you sent emissaries to find the true faith. When you found the precious pearl, Christ, he chose you to be to be a second Paul and removed 
your spiritual and physical blindness in the holy bath. And so we, your people, commemorate your falling asleep and seek your intercession for the governing authorities of Rus and for their whole domain. Amen. Thank you very much for listening. This has been your Daily Dose of Agios. Saint Vladimir, equal to the apostles, pray for us.